All right, all right, all right. It is just about time for the burning platform. And man, oh man, do we have lots to discuss today. Pumi Mashiho and I are here to keep you company and to hopefully open up some of the discussions. I saw a tweet that you wanted us to highlight from the electricity minister. <laughs> and again, this is Musi Maimane, our guest this morning, but it says here, from Times Live, Electricity Minister Josienzo Ramachopa says load shedding will not be ended through an act of God, no matter how many prayers. But you know what an <laughs> act of uh, civ- civic outrage has done? What? It has reversed the decision by the Minister of Finance to exempt ESCOM from disclosing. I saw that. Amongst other things, wasteful and fruitless expenditure in their financials. Right, because they were going to be given a reprieve. It's not an act of God, but it is an act of civil outrage. Uh huh. And also the state of disaster. State of disaster was yesterday called to an end. I didn't even know it was still on. Did you? But it was the state of disaster for ESCOM. Remember, this was specifically for ESCOM. That that this before the minister of electricity was appointed. Why are you? Oh, but Gareth, no, uh, but I remember Gareth, when. What is this? Listen, <laughs> uh, this government. Hey, Canton, uh, this government. Morning, guys. Was, they, Hello, Baba. they declare a state of disaster or emergency or whatever it is, and we don't. We're not even sure what the terms of that are, and then they keep it going for as long as they want, and then arbitrarily decide they're going to end it. Karen, they had two weeks between the time they declared it and up until now. What was stolen in that two-week period where they were outside of scrutiny? That's what we need to look at. Hmm. Is that what you think it was? Just an opportunity yes. to steal? Absolutely. <laughs> A legal opportunity, legal opportunity to steal. So, I mean, when last did we have one of these stated disasters and what was it for? Was it when the riots happened in KZN? Well, it was over the lockdown, remember, when when lockdowns were declared. We were in a state uh, of disaster. Yeah, but then there was... The, 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 and that, 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 so the looting in KZN happened at that time. So it was the same state of disaster. The same state of disaster. But you sure. want to talk about looting in KZN. Yeah. Do you know what we're not talking about? We're not mm-hmm. talking about all those COVID funds that were looted. Oh, well... I mean, that's, that's all those COVID funds that were of looted. We, yeah. we are, we've forgotten about that as the Republic of General Amnesia. Uh, Pumi has decided to, to do uh, Kuningi every week. She said there's enough news for us to talk about all of this stuff every single Are you getting cold there, Pums? Uh, yeah, Apparently so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, when you two have, uh, when come, you two have settled down... But and, I come prepared, you see? <laughs> guys, can we just, before Musi joins us, can we just talk yes. about gold mafia very quickly? Yes, of course. What do you want to say? The fundamental issue around gold mafia, and you know, people actually don't get this. The reason mm-hmm. why gold mafia exists is because Zimbabwe is sanctioned by the United States. They're not able to wow. legally move wealth out of the country. And they have to keep the country running. Zimbabwe is not poor. Zimbabwe has the means of feeding itself, but Uncle Sam wants to punish uh-huh. the country, and so they have to find ways around the U.S. sanctions, and that's why these entire ecosystems develop out of nowhere. Mm. Look so at the big picture, guys. Look at the big picture. 
Jeez. All right. Okay. So you you think that involves the 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 tobacco guy as well, and all this uh, skullduggery by Emerson and Gagwa's? Well, the uh, tobacco guys again. Remember that angel? the reason why the reason why they are illicit is because there's an outrageous arbitrary tax on tobacco and mm-hmm. on alcohol. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if I if I buy a bottle of VAT sixty nine now from Ultra Liquors, I can get it on special for as low as one hundred and thirty nine rand. Out of which seventy rand is tax. Sure. That's okay. A good point. So, so you have every reason from a point of view of profitability to smuggle those cigarettes. You know, why mm-hmm. would you want to sell it um, at fifty rand a pack? And you know, this is a thumbs up because I haven't bought cigarettes in years. Why would you want to sell it at fifty rand a pack for a two rand profit when you could sell it at uh, uh, twenty five rand a pack for a ten rand profit? All right, you make an interesting point, um, and obviously this falls into that much bigger conversation that you're always pulling us towards of the the changes of you know with the changes in global politics, particularly with uh, what's going on in the U.S. as as compared to what's going on in China and India and Russia, and the fact that the world is moving away from this unipolar look and feel that it's had for the longest time, but. We'll have to pause that for a moment. I do want to welcome our special guest this morning. He's come in specially. He was in, you were in Cape Town yesterday. We were, we were worried we weren't going to see you and you're here in person now. Musi Maimane, how nice to see you. And thank you for, so much for having me. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure. Nice to, nice to have you in the studio. It's been a long time since we had you in the studio. I know. I, I had to find a new GPS location. <laughs> and we've got lots to catch up on i mean sure. you've you've been really busy so what what happened to uh the, the 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 original one movement that's now become bossa and is it bossa or must we say b-o-s-a or like no we, bossa is cool okay is bossa all right yeah okay um, so tell us what's been happening so so when i left parliament in 2019, I always wanted to work hard to make sure South Africans can actually connect with democracy. Because I I actually think part of the flaw with this country is that you and I, as we sit here uh, in Joburg, we don't even know which member of parliament represents us, right? Mm -hmm. That's a fair point. So, so I went out, I, I, we spent the last three years, obviously in the first year, we went to the constitutional court to fight for the amendment of the bill so that you independent could, candidates yeah. yeah and and people also say it's independent candidates but more than anything i wanted a constituency <clears throat> system because right. i actually at the end of the day still believe that democracy serve best when politicians are accountable to the people and the people that live with them that's mm-hmm. what i really mean so so we went and spent time the concord ruled that parliament must amend the law we spent the last two years submitting the bill that was osa and then they came up with this bill that really was like, look, guys, you can run the Comrades Marathon, but if you want to represent your community, you must run backwards with no shoes. Right. That kind of thing. So they No money, it, nothing. Nothing. No, right. Like impossible. So they made it impossible. And then we felt, okay, if we truly believe in ideas and we, we believe we've got a great vision for this country, we, we've got to be able to practice it. So I went out back to communities. I said, anyone who wants to represent their community must stand under this platform. So we built Build One South Africa mm-hmm. as a political party. We put it on, we registered it with the IEC so that we can challenge not only for democracy to be closer to people, but to fight for our 10 ideas that we say these things are opposite and crucial for this country. So that's what happened. 
All right. So first of all, I mean, Canton and Pumi, any comments on this constituency-based system? Because we've often had conversations about it, the fact that party lists come in and people you know, in the party are just assigned place on the list and they get into parliament and then they're not really accountable to anyone except the chief whip and, of course, the party itself. And and what we've done here is a this is a big deal and it, I think it's made our political landscape that much more accountable and a little bit better. Agree? Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. And look, Musi, you're absolutely right in terms of the fact that we don't know who our constituencies are and who we hold personally accountable for these things. The issue that we've had um, when you have a, a parliamentary framework, shall we say, that's not based on proportional representation, is that gerrymandering then kicks in. And as soon as gerrymandering uh, kicks in, essentially what happens with gerrymandering is that you redraw constituencies based on where a party is able to command a majority. So now, very simply, if we happen to have had a constitutional uh, democracy that was represented by constituencies, the ANC would have redrawn the map so that all of the opposition parties would have effectively been wiped out which is what we see in uh, many countries in Africa and Limpopo. So the proportional representation system that we have is you know, essentially a compromise that, uh, uh, that kicks in. But it, the flaws are, of course, that you cannot hold uh, individuals personally accountable for representing your interests. So now that comes to the interesting uh, point of do we allow individuals to then run for parliament? Well, I think that that's a very good idea in principle. The problem, of course, comes is that when you have a couple of hundred thousand people running for the National Assembly, how do you then put a couple of hundred thousand people onto a ballot in order for them to be able to, A, find their candidate and B, tick off their names on the box? And, uh, yeah, it just becomes a a shitstorm of note. There and Now, you know, there's some people might say, well, let's do digital elections. And we all know how digital elections can be manipulated as well because when you don't have an actual paper trail. So I'm saying that I don't know the answer to this question. In other words, okay. you've, been, you've, been, you've been completely unhelpful, Canton. Thank you. That was, that was a point. Of, thank God uh, we didn't trust you with this you. problem. But, but also, Taz, I think one of the things that we're, we're, we're fucking with a system. Sorry, this is Muruti, I know. It's before, it's, it's before Good Friday. So, so, so at least you've got time. No, but you know, we, we, have, we have got, quite arguably, a constitution which is not just the newest, but also a brand new spanking shining car that has been created for a world that we, we are living. So proportional representation, theoretically, what the parties should be doing is they should be getting their party list from the constituency, right? And what we're trying to do is we're trying to break this constitution that has been thought through and put together in a different world. And we're trying to make it an old uh, are state you, are of you working saying, are in you the saying, constitution. The constitution, uh, guys, was, and okay. we're wanting to, cha- hold on, and we're wanting to change the rules of the game just as the one party that we all agree with is losing the game. Now you want to change the rules and no, no, allow no, them I, to, and allow them to change the rules to work for themselves. That's what we've done. Can I continue your analogy? You yeah. said it's a shiny new car. It might have been back in, what, 92, 93. 
I'm worried about that shiny new car. We've been driving it on our pothole roads for such a long time now. I think it's starting to fall apart. And really, the Constitution, while it may have been a document, and I, I was one of the people and continue to be one of the people who regard it as a triumph, um, unfortunately, the, the people we've entrusted to be the guardians of this Constitution, pol- politicians by and large, have let everybody down to the point where now trust is at an all-time low in politicians, and people are transferring that lack of trust in politicians to the Constitution. They're blaming the Constitution. Sure, sure, sure. So you see Absolutely. them blaming, they're saying but the Constitution is the, the problem. This is the, the game. This is the problem, the obstacle, you know? But changing the rules of the game as they are losing the game is no. only going to prejudice anybody else that is in line to win. But let me, let me say a couple of things so that uh, at least... Um, so on the first score, I'm, I'm not sure I agree entirely with what Kantan is saying in terms of gerrymandering doesn't always adversely affect um, the opposition. Actually, in this instance, it may have an additional benefit because, in essence, that's how coalitions work best, right? So suddenly we decide, one, in Ulundi, IFP is the best party there. You can then coalesce and say, Everybody, pull your horses back. Let the IFP guys stand there. We're going to support them. So, so that's the first and more important thing about a system where that's a mixed system where you've got proportional and you've got constituency because then you can really coalesce better. On the second issue, you wouldn't amend the constitution to achieve this. In fact, the constitutional court in its ruling just simply said amend the electoral act, which mm. is so the constitution remains as it is. The constitution has got some very, if I wanted to amend the constitution, I would then go ahead and say, directly vote for the president. That's an, a constitutional amendment, but everything else is within the law. On the third issue is that we know if you do the maths of the bill that we've done, the NC would lose 6% almost immediately because once you rechange what a constituency based system is, you strengthen. That's why the NC struggles at local government. It struggles because people directly elect someone. And then I would argue more strongly, the rules as we have them now, let me give you a real example. MPs work, it works like school terms. They are already allocated constituency periods. In those constituency periods, what do those people do? In essence, you pay people to just continue their party work. Instead of paying people to say, Charlotte McClay get down the road here, it's burnt down. Come answer. Tell the people what's going on with this thing. Or potholes in Johannesburg. Maybe that's a local government issue. Mm. Let me talk about national government issues. The schools in South Africa, where young people are passing at 30%. Hey, Goza, come explain to us what's going on here. So instead, we now give politicians money for constituency offices because we really mm. did want to change. We already give them money for it. We've already set up constituency offices. Instead, they end up being party offices. So to me, I think... As voters now, we are being screwed both ways. Let's just be honest. We're being screwed by a system that doesn't hold people to account, and we pay for them to continue. We are at a greater loss as citizens. So this is a fundamentally important issue that was even conceived in '94, so that we achieved this. Musi, I just want to climb in there for a second. Let's just talk about the Electoral Amendment Bill. Now, we are aware that it was passed by Parliament last year, the president has still not signed off on it. So, you know, we're a year ahead of the next election. We still don't have a proper electoral framework in terms of what we're going to vote around. Yeah. Uh, what's your understanding of where the state of play is right now with that? 
Sure. I, I mean, where the president sits with the bill uh, is that there are some issues of constitu- constitutionality in yeah. the bill. So it'll go to the Concord anyways, I suspect, because as I said earlier, it makes the rules nearly impossible for anyone else. It's prejudicial. And so I would argue the bill as passed is malicious compliance with the constitution. But here's my political tactic. Let me say this. I think this is where the president is playing for. The NC knows that going into an election with load shedding as an issue is going to be harmful to them. They know that. And they also know that their solution is not to fix ESCOM. It's not their solution is that everyone takes, more people take themselves off the grid. Because if we're discussing <laughs> yeah. 6,000 megawatt shortfall for baseload, more people as they build their things, you're starting to chip away at that number. So with every passing day, you are getting to a stage where actually you can get to stage two load shedding and less than that. So the president is gambling. In my view, I think the president wants us next year to delay the elections because they're given 90 days additional a, a referees optional time if you follow football. They, they can be given 90 days after the term ends so that they can delay to get towards a place where the grid is stable. They can then call for an election knowing that people are not going to go vote there to say the lights are off, we are voting you out. Can I ask that uh, we, we speak a little bit more deeply about your party because we have you here and yeah a lot of yeah. people a lot of people are asking so yeah I, let's do that I, I think and and I hear all of the electoral changes mm-hmm. and all of that stuff I'm very interested to know that coming out of your past political life mm-hmm. what have you learned that you think is going to change Busa's um, fortunes yeah. going into this new no thank you for that because actually. I mean, when I left, as I said, the first lesson was that democracy needs fixing. The second lesson was people, you know, when we sit here in the studio, we may not all share common ideology, but we share common values. And I want to advance this idea of of Ubuntu. And I know the term has been used. Oh, it's, yeah, it's so hackneyed now. yeah, Yeah, yeah. But let's not lose track of the fact that we have a shared humanity and a common threat. Why that's important is because in a country that also wants people to be polarized on the basis of race, that people want to divide us. And when I talk about build one South Africa, my fundamental argument is that it is possible for citizens, regardless of race, regardless of where they come from, to be able to really get behind one view and actually share and support a candidate. The second, the third thing is I learned that politics has, has failed because we lack ideas. You know, I sat in parliament for six, five, five years or six years. And when I was there, it became quite common to me that we weren't discussing issues of people. So my other big lesson is that I had to go back and really engage citizens and say, what are the 10 things that we can talk about? And yeah, you mentioned one of them is electricity, but we've spoken about education. You know, we hardly talk about education in this country yet. It's like the next ESCOM. We never talk about, and so I, we've put out this 10 big ideas. We say, we want a national venture capital fund so that we can fund microenterprise. We want to make sure that uh, the state acts as an underwriter for healthcare. We want to bring security down from national so that the police are not operating under Minister Pegitele, but they come back to local communities and you can aggregate those with sec- private security and volunteer forces so that we've got greater police presence. 
I spent quite a lot of time saying, let's advance this idea of radical centrism. Let's, let's get to the middle where people are at and draw on the best ideas so that we can go forward. And even on the energy thing, we've worked on solutions. We've worked on how we can change education to give parents vouchers so that they are at the forefront of choosing where their kids can go to school. So it gave me three years to rethink, one, what I'd like to see in this country. It gave me three years to really get over the past because I think it was hard. And it gave me three years where ultimately I feel emboldened to say more people can work together to achieve what's great in this country. What do you mean the past was hard? My final year, I think in 2019, was probably one of the hardest in my life, just just personally, because the politics just became so toxic. The issues... I can help you with that. Get off Twitter. You'll never get off Twitter. No, you've been busy on Twitter. We'll get to that just now. But, but, but you know, effectively, you know, I'd given five... I'd given a long time, a lot a of my life, 10 years to the DA. And I thought towards the end, the things, the divisions, the pain, the, all of that, I needed time just to detox from that. And I'm grateful that the last three years have been that because, because I didn't want to come back and replicate a type of uh, the DA or a type of the ANC. I really wanted something new that will work for the next generation of South Africans because we can all look to yesterday. And we can celebrate the NC, the DA, all of those parties. But what I think South Africa needs and what the global community is teaching us is that something new is taking countries forward. So, and I, let's take Lesotho. You might say Lesotho is a small country. It doesn't even count. But Sam Matakatsa is now prime minister. They started six months ago, won an election. Hakiende Chilema, a very good friend of mine in Zambia is now the president. They started UPND, a new vision for Ford. Nelson Chamisa in Zimbabwe has started ICC, something that takes us forward. In the international market, you look at people like Emmanuel Macron and how they took over a change. I think the global system is changing. So to me, I've had to get into that and get excited about it. Still today, here we are. Think yeah. I mean, five, I mean, ten years I, ago, this yeah. would be in a different studio. You this know, is a new world. You, you still are like good at giving a positive vision, which I'm not hearing from anyone else at the, at the moment, which uh, is kind of disturbing. They're all talking about each other the whole time. You know what I mean? You listen to most of the parties, they're talking about each other. And I'm not getting any kind of positive vision from the ANC. It's all just like, uh, there's nothing wrong here. Look over here, you know, and, and, and old stuff that we're over. But, but I do think there are a whole lot of things to unpack and unpick here because a lot of people think that you, you, you kind of started this because you didn't have an option. There are other people who think maybe you're, you're doing this because you like the feel of politics and you want to stay relevant. I mean, I'm, I'm just pulling stuff yeah, off the yeah, internet. Yeah, yeah. I personally, yeah, yeah. I think the more the merrier. Yeah. And we need people with ideas. I couldn't agree with you more on that front. Yeah. But what is, what is it that's driving you? Like, what would you really like to do in the, would it be ideal if someone said, cool, we'll, we'll vote directly for president and it, and it happened. Let's say by some miracle. Yeah. It even happened by 2024. Is that the position you would run for? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I've got the shirt. So <laughs> if you've got the shirt and the logo, you're in, right? No, 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 I, but... I'm just worried that if your jacket closes, that could look like Busasa. Oh, and yeah. that worries the hell out of me. Okay. But you know, you know, you know, in truth, uh, look, on the first is one of the other nice things I did in the last three years is that I went and got involved in business. So we set up a fund that helps fund started up businesses, 
So that was fun. Uh, we got involved with, because I, I must be honest, when I was writing lo- uh, laws in parliament, I didn't understand all what happens in business. So I spent quite a bit of time trying to understand that, trying to understand communities. So I'm coming back with a better tool set. And why I say that is because there's a danger upon with politics becomes careerism or those two things become yeah. synonymous. They, people can't find work elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the last three years, I, I'm just about nearly done with a PhD in microeconomics. So, so I, I, I've, I've really felt I could, I'm useful elsewhere, if I could say it like. Yeah, that. most politicians are not. Let's be honest <laughs> about that. Uh, the, if you took a lot of those MPs and even our cabinet ministers, you gave them, uh, no, no public money to live off of. They'd find it very difficult yeah. to find employment. So, so, so. Do you disagree? Listen, people have got teaching diplomas. <laughs> People have got, don't, don't take people lightly here. People have got teaching diplomas just because they're currently ministers of police doesn't mean they can't go and teach. Exactly. Oh, no, no, no. So, uh. so, so, so when I was done with all of that, I think, but you say, what's the play? Hmm. You know, Gareth, I am, uh, I've got three kids. Um, and in truth, we're a mixed race family. So, right. My wife's a white South African. We've got three mixed race kids. So we faced this problem. One, when I looked at the ballot, I thought, one, there's no one to vote for. Honestly, I, I right. looked at it and I thought, that's the first thing. The second thing is I thought to myself, if I lived pre-94, say I lived in the 60s, 70s, and I thought something was heinously wrong in the country, with all the career, with all or whatever, knowing apartheid was an evil system, would I have marched? And Hypothetically, if I think I would have, if I sit here today, honestly, with a country that I drove the other day with my daughter past UCT, I said to her, maybe one day you'll go here. And then I realized maybe UCT may not exist in 10 years, or she may not be able to find a job or whatever, or she may not feel safe at the risk of sounding selfish about my own kids. In truth, let's be fair, guys. This country ain't going in the right direction. So I said, eh. Let's get back and fight. Um, a lot of people in the comments want to know you, you, Musi's a good guy. His challenge is going to be scalability, says Ken. He needs yeah. a strong number two and financial backers. V. Ruiz says, if a politician just said, I will do nothing, then I would vote for them. The more they, <laughs> the more they do, the more damage they cause. But and the ANC last... already ticks that box. I mean, that's why we've got a guys. you've got a party yeah. to vote for. <laughs> And then Congo Chris says, uh, critically, 27 minutes into the platform, still no clear policies. How do we address homelessness? Does uh, Bosa prepare a welfare nanny state? Uh, is that what you propose? How do we reduce tax and the cost of living? Big or small government? These are the things he wants to know about. No, I hear that. And I think a lot of people want to get into one, one on a couple of things. I know the issue of homelessness is a serious one. Part of it is we must understand it for its fullest sense, right? Like, why are people homeless? The couple of things. The first is, if you live in mega cities, the net in-migration into cities because of economic opportunities is higher. That's true for Cape Town. That's true for Joburg. That's true for KZN. And there's a net effect of that. And I'm not, uh, what the couple of things that I need to suggest is we need to, and I know there are many aspects to fixing this issue. I know you can provide shelters. I know you can provide a voucher system for that. But actually, I happen to hold, which is what I did my master's in, is you've got to fix the transport infrastructure. 
Why that's important is because sometimes someone who slips, who sleeps under a bridge in Rosebank is doing so not because they, they can't find, not only because they can't find a home, it's because they are underemployed. It's too far for them to get to work in Rosebank. And actually they're spending a ton of money in transport. 40% of citizens in this, in this country spend, uh, well, the people who work in this country spend 40% of their income on transport. You can't have that. So imagine if we had an effective transport system that meant that people, even though people might live far from cities, but to get into cities where work opportunities are was easier, it makes that whole solution possible. To to the question about, that's why earlier on I was speaking about what excites me is about the 10 big ideas that says, no, it's not about creating an any state. Actually, when I mentioned this whole idea of a national venture capital fund, is because I truly want citizens to be empowered to be able to prosper across all platforms. That's why I mentioned that. Okay. That's why I mentioned this idea of a voucher-based system because ultimately I give citizens their right to choose. The ideological polarization, and I'm going to say this here and I know there'll be haters out there. They're going to say, Musi, but you are talking about a world that's post-ideological. I happen to think so. I happen to think that we've come to the critique of both capitalism and socialism at its highest level. I think now we've got to find a, th- a, a new way. We've got to find a new way forward. So speaking then, of a no, new no, no, way, hang on. I need, to, about... I need to climb in at that point, Pumi, because climb in. The, the, this, uh, Musi, this <laughs> then ties in directly with what's happening at the geopolitical level right now. So let, let's talk very directly about the seismic shift that's happening around de-dollarization, about the fact that BRICS is now the single biggest economic block yeah, in the world. So BRICS is bigger than the G7 countries' uh, uh, collective economies put together. There is a shift happening north of the Limpopo where all countries are now turning their eyes in the direction of the east and in the direction of, uh, of Russia. Where do you stand on that? Because if you are saying we are moving to a post-ideology world, if we are moving to a scenario where the hegemony of the United States and its allies is in rapid decline. And mm. how, how does that then reconcile with uh, your very principled yeah, yeah, yeah. standpoint on things like Zimbabwe, for example? Sure, sure, mm. sure. I, I mean, I think the question maybe leans itself into the idea of how you put your foreign interests and foreign policy to a certain extent. And I take lead from two pillars that under that underpin the future of where we go. The one is trade industry in, in interest. So despite the fact that there's a global shifting towards the East, in truth, for example, the EU, as, as if South Africa, the South African president now, if I talked or from that, from that platform, the EU countries are still the, the number one largest investors in this country. Okay. China is fourth. In this instance, and in terms of various collaborations, um, foreign direct investment, we still discover that we have trade ties with the global West and the EU. So that's on one space. Declining, 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 rapidly declining, I must say. And also, remember, no, 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 I must correct points of fact. China (laughs) is the, China is our biggest trading partner right now. India is soon to, absolutely. CIA, CIA World Factbook figures. Go for it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Fine. We'll read that, but I, I disagree, and I can show you the... I'm sorry, my, my facts are going to get in the way of your feelings here, Busi. <laughs> okay. Let's, 
If we proceed on the second issue is that what we can't also do is whilst you may pick East or West, we mustn't also denounce, and you're correct, you asked me the question about Zimbabwe, we mustn't denounce issues of human rights for a fact. So yes, where we sit in the de-dollarization, as you put it, I'm comfortable enough to say, let's focus on our trade interests. Let's understand what our investment criteria look like and what our objectives are, because everyone is doing that. And sure, I but actually, what, what are your investment criteria? Tell us that. Yeah, mine is to look at, for example, I, my, my major support even about the BRICS member states. If I think about where our economies is going to grow, particularly in areas of fintech, etc., I do think our partnership with India needs to be strengthened for the future. But that's not only an exclusive market. There are other markets that I look at. We can look at issues of energy and how we diversify that going forward and understanding where Africa and its continent sits. So I look at issues of digitization, of energy, environmental friendliness, and how we, how as Africa, we can leapfrog the developmental curve of where other European countries have gone. And so there are massive opportunities in that regard. So I'm not married to Anyone, I'm married to South Africa. And I'm saying let's identify our interests and path and, and chart our path along that way. That's my focus. So, so to the last point, which is what do we do in Africa? So on another last point is that there's intra-African trade that's not been stimulated sufficiently. And I think there's a massive opportunity there. So in a continent that's got 1.2 billion people at least projected in the next 10 years with Nigeria growing, surely as Africa and South Africa, we need to be thinking hard about how do we intra-trade and export goods, certainly within the continent. That's a massive opportunity. So, so, so to me, if you said to me, Musi Maimane, you become the president today, I wouldn't be wanting to go, let's pick winners and losers. I'd be going, what are the interests of South Africa? What are economic demands? What are skills so you, demands? I mean, it sounds practical to me. So, for example, That's it. I'm a pragmatist. so for example, we have coal. So environmental concerns, because we're a developing economy, should come after coal. We need to use coal. We don't have enough electricity at the moment. Well, 67% of our, of our energy provision is given by coal. And that's, you're okay with that too? Because we, I am. Of course. Anyone, I'm saying like, we got to use what we got. Anyone who thinks that so we're the US, we also So have, when the US says they're going to give billions uh, of dollars here so that we will go to solar and wind and water. Not going to happen in the next 10 years. <laughs> right. Bullshit. That's right. That's I'm with fact. you. Okay, good. But also when we talk about issues of environment, we have completely different issues in South Africa as to what, you know, the global north has. We have issues of water and water scarcity. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that if we're talking about um, climate, we should actually be looking a bit wider and thinking about our ecology and what it means for South Africa. There are many things Agree that with we you. should be our looking biggest at. It's issue not would, just about... Yeah, I'm, I'm with like, you. You wanted to ask something, like, though, and, uh, and Canton hopped in. You wanted to ask something about Bosa. Yeah, you know, you you speak about Ubuntu and you speak about shared humanity um, and shared visions and goals. I'm interested to know if you got the letter to come to the convening <laughs> on the 15th. What's this letter, Pumi? Just remind everybody. <laughs> it's the moonshot. It's the moonshot page. This <laughs> right, is my so, word of the week. This is, so this is what uh, John Steenhazen has proposed as the anything but the ANC and EFF. Coalition. There's a gathering happening right. on the 15th. Have Are you, you got going? your letter? Because your logo was taken off the coalition of uh, the Rainbow Coalition. Well, well that's what that's what I I noticed that. Did I, you? And I noticed that I I I wasn't invited. Well, let me say a few things. The they first didn't thing, invite you. You know, I I uh, and I'm not. Uh, look, I think anytime people want to work together, that's an important thing. 
We're going to need to at some point. Correct. It but, needs. Uh, yeah, I think this is an important thing that Pumi's bringing up here. Like, how deep are your wells of willingness to get involved in coalitions? And what are you and aren't you prepared to do? I, I, I led in 2016, right? I led the coalition, uh, Hen Joburg, Kabecha, Twane, and all of that. And by and large, I think we, we demonstrated that they can work. They work on the basis of being able to develop a plan that, that you are able to say, here's where the thing is going. And they work if the national leadership is willing to get over its own issues. I mean, there were days where, I can tell you, I used to fight a lot with Bantu Holomisa, and he knows that. But we'd walk out. He sometimes has walked out of my office, but we still had to fight hard about what we got to do. And today, him and I still remain good friends. So at the end of the day, you require the high level of maturity. So so even in a typical sense, you know, so for example, we were put in the thing, now we're taken off. That kind of immaturity doesn't help. It's not going to help coalitions. You need to be mature in leadership and be grand enough to be able to go, I'll work with people. Some people I don't agree with. Julius Malema and I don't agree on many things. But he's playing a part in South Africa. I have to engage him. Korne Mulda and I disagreed on many things. But he's a South African and I need to engage in the way it goes. So, 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 so the coalition conversation, one, I think is important. Two, I think we need to do it and we need to get it right. But three, it needs a sense of which there's a shared respect and shared values that sit in the room. So 2024, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, we did, I haven't, I've checked my inbox. You have refreshed, refreshed, nothing. So I suppose mm, I'm not okay. invited. But lastly, so are you big enough to show up even if you're not invited? Well, I don't know where it is. I don't, and I don't like to show up at. Okay. Get your inbox. Oh, please. <laughs> but, but, but let me just say this one last thing. Uh, the conversation has been had. This is not a new conversation, right? Uh-huh. So I've been meeting with opposition leaders to have this conversation. So so let's not make this moonshot thing a new thing. It's not. It's actually people have been having conversations and I've, I can show you. What? We, we met a couple of times with political leaders, <clears throat> opposition leaders to try and chart our way forward. That's on one score. On another score, it's it can't just be a coalition of parties only. We have to bring society on the table. All right. What do you think is going to happen in the elections next year? Because this is the question everybody always asks people who they think are connected and who know what's going on. You know more than I do. What do you think is going to happen next year? Where do you see the parties lining up? How well do you see the ANC doing or how poorly do you see them doing? Who do you see as the coalition partners who might be able to make a go of it? And what are the percentages in your head? As they are now. Obviously, a lot can change. In my head, I think the NC will get somewhere mid-40s or 45 or so, 40, somewhere there. You know, and a lot can happen between now and next year. I think, I think, you know, I was with my sister yesterday. I was in Dobsonville and, and they said something, you know, my sister says, we don't, she says to me, we don't only just deal with, with electricity problems. Now we deal with repo rate. I thought Soweto now reporters become the new issue. I thought, that's beautiful. Because actually she's using coded language for inflation. I think the cost of goods is going up. I think the hustle culture in this country is well entrenched. So sure. I think life's about to get hard. So so I think the NC is not going to survive that. You, you can survive many things. You can't keep people poor. So that's on one score. The second issue is I think parties a lot in the next three months will guide whether or not this big rainbow coalition will in fact itself deliver the sort of aggregated plus 51% percentage. Because yeah, they need that. This, yeah. Otherwise it's a fool's errand. So, 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 so there's a lot of work that's going into that exercise. And I think it's an important work. And then lastly, I think come next year, it depends. The established parties will get what they've got, I think. 
it depends entirely on what entrants like myself or anyone else does. I hate to sound all grandiose, but frankly, I'm playing this game to understand that we've got to be, we're playing for Champions League. I always say to people, mm. you know, if you follow football, you play for the top four. You're playing in there. And more than anything, we've got to be in the room to make sure we can anchor the coalition. as it How are forward. you going to get people who are totally disenchanted with the political system, who are not voting, that huge proportion of people in this country who have so much at stake but have given up on politics? How are you going to get them to vote for you? And that's bit that's exciting. So six months into the game, right? We are, we are launching, we've got a very strong digital platform. So you, so Twitter is but one component, but we're launching, uh, a, a, a type of discovery rivalry app that will make sure citizens who don't participate in politics in traditional sense, they are not branch members, they are not going to be Viva Ring, but they want to participate in the process. So six months into the thing, we've got a digital platform that allows us to do that. Secondly, we've set up structures in all nine provinces, which for six months in, I think is pretty good. We've got an executive everywhere and they're going every weekend recruiting members. Thirdly, I'm excited about the fact that when we raise issues in communities, because for the first time ever, remember the other thing you talk about independence in 2021, we've been able to call all of those people back because they bring their communities. Because why people don't participate in a democracy is because they don't know who they're voting for. Whereas in local government elections, they found somebody, they said, oh, here's Musi. He lives in Dobsonville. Let the people of Dobsonville vote for Musi in that sense. So that re-engages the politics in a different manner. So that's been quite exciting to get people animated around that. And then lastly, so to the scale question, I feel now we've got a pro, we've got a product. If you were using business language, we've got a product. Mm -hmm. We've got distribution channels. We've got digital infrastructure. And we raised the sufficient enough capital. I think we can scale up quite quickly. Favorability of messengers. That's another thing. We're bringing new people into politics. You saw, So one of the things that is sad for me watching the political landscape is that if I slept in 2019, woke up in 2023, still the same Same players. people. So, so to me... That sounds a bit stale in many ways. So the exciting bit is, I, and I can show you, I, my deputy leader, Nobuntu, is a businesswoman in her own right. She's a powerful woman. She's come into play. We've got a number of people, um, Kusta Jack, who was a business person in his own right in the Eastern Cape. Biela, who is a phenomenal entrepreneur from Unilever, used to be there in KZN. And I can go country, province by province. We've got radio DJs who are standing in our list. We've got uh -oh. former ambassadors. We've got... People, so what I'm trying to say is that don't try and sell stale bread to people and make it fresh. What you've got to do is go out and no, sell. But you're the leader of this thing. Are you not stale bread trying to be fresh? I'm the only politician maybe in the room often. So there's a lot of that that you've got to understand and work with. And I've had to spend some time almost as a recovering politician to try and, and rework and rework what I think, what I do. And so it, I may be old in the politics, but I certainly have got new ideas going forward. And I'm not nervous about that. There, there, there's something that has had to happen in my life to take the time to rethink things and to work them out. Canton, hmm. I know you're burning with some questions. This is the burning platform. Take it away. No, I'm not going to actually be burning with questions. I, I, I should just give some <laughs> historical context here in terms of uh, when I met Musi for the first time. This was years ago when I was running YFS. Yes. And, uh, and at the time, Musi was campaigning in Alex. And I was out there in Alex watching him. He was on the back of a truck 
in, uh, you know, like an old-style township preacher, which I suppose you are, Musi, when you get down <laughs> to it uh, in brass tacks. But he was just stopping random people walking through the streets in Alex, and he was, you know, pointing to uh, a woman who was walking by, and he would say, uh, you've got uh, a child, I've got a young child as well. I think it's wrong for rats to be running on the streets here in Alex. And uh, and I called him on to, uh, we were running at, uh, at that time, uh, a kind of, uh, sort of like a TED Talk thing um, at the the Hyatt Hotel, where we'd invite people to come in and give a, a talk for about 20 minutes and then take questions from the audience. It was a, a, a black tie affair, fairly uh, highbrow. And uh, I remember asking Musi at the time, you know, before he gave his speech, I said uh, to him, but, you know, your your pedigree is, you know, you, you're from Soweto, you're a Dobsonville boy. Uh, surely your ideological home should have been within the ANC. And uh, and and he made the point that, you know, if he was uh, that he had considered joining the ANC. But what would that would have meant is that he would have had to stay as a branch member for the next 40 years until he eventually got escalated to a point where he could physically do something. And the reason why I'm telling you guys the story is because I think there's a lot of people out there who have the sense of frustration that they have the ability to contribute something to fixing the country. But the way in which the political structures are designed right now doesn't allow people to actually inject those ideas into the political mix. So I think that... (laughs) I sense some of the frustration that you've still got to this day, Musi, around trying to uh, to bring that uh, to market, so to speak. I'm not entirely sure at this point whether what Bosa or any of these new players uh, that are coming... Um, uh, Pumi, you were mentioning uh, uh, earlier that um, uh, our, our former mayor of Midval is launching a new party as well. We're increasingly seeing a fragmentation of the ideas rather than a a coming together of the ideas, no. uh, coalescing under a single platform. And I think that all of this is going to play to the ANC's advantage when we go to the next election. Um, I don't agree with your prediction that the ANC will drop below 50%. In fact, I think the ANC will maintain it's better than 50% simply because I believe there are fewer people who will vote in the next election than did in the last election because there isn't enough messaging right now around driving people to get to the polls to have something to vote for. I don't know uh, to what extent right now you're able to come up with messaging that's going to persuade people, A, that they need to get to the polls, and B, that they need to be voting for you or voting for Bossa in this case. So how... Just tell me what's wrong with my analysis as a starting point, and then uh, how you intend addressing that. So there's a couple of things. One is a strange thing happened and is happening. Uh, you would have been at the Mall of Africa over the weekend and young people organized themselves mm. to get there. Anyone? Organized. <laughs> Pumi <laughs> told me about these guys. What do you call them? Latweezies. Latweezies. <laughs> I, I happen to think that that is an indicator of the fact that given the appropriate message, young people can be, can be mobilized to do something. So, you don't just think it's a, a representation of terrible parenting. <laughs> no, I think I think I think sometimes we miss the language of young people. Um, okay, all right. So, so, Kant, to your to your point, 
Rona, my organizing message, if you were to say, what's your mega, you know, to use a bad <laughs> statement, uh, for us is to genuinely fight to put a job in every home. I, that's the, that's the tagline. We want to put a job in every home. So, and the economic message, that's what this country actually is about. I agree with you that sometimes it feels like everyone wants to start a party, but where I'm worried about all of that is that there's a genuine, sometimes misunderstanding of the political problem in this country because we speak on so many different platforms. We speak as elites and we understand the problem from one angle. But actually for the person who's sitting at home, the, 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 the citizen who, for them, honestly, I'm convinced, despite what the NC's institutions look like, I think that given the appropriate mobilization funding, citizens have had enough. You know, it doesn't matter where I go, in any community, people say this one permanent thing to me. I, I got such a beautiful analogy. Someone said to me, Mr. Maimane, I bought chicken pieces. Load shedding has meant that they are now going off in two weeks. Now, that's a different level of poverty that I think this country has to grapple with. So whilst I might be eloquently describing the problem, I do think more than anything, people are desperate for new solutions. And our work as BOSA is not that we're going to get 51%. That's not what I'm going for. But I want to be playing for that Champions League slot so that we can be in the room. When the country asks the question, who should be the president here, we can have a far sober conversation. So what's your polling telling you about your prospects? Actually, quite good, actually. We, are, we will effectively, if, we, if we're run a, running a good campaign, we're already in the double digits. So, so oh, that's wow. a start. And that's what I'm going for. Do you, do you, what do you think of that, Pums? No, I, I, you know how I feel about polling. I love polling. We're always talking about polls here. Mm. And that's why my question is really around polling because yeah. I think it's about the questions that you ask. And so the answers that you get really are about the questions that you ask. I think, but Musi, I still want to know what your MAGA slogan is. What is your MAGA slogan? A, it, he said a job, job in, in every, every home. home. A job, a job in every home. Okay. Right. So, so, so. That, 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 that sounds like the Ronald Reagan slogan from the 80s. A gun in every holster, a pregnant woman in every kitchen. Make America a man again. Uh, no, 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 no. Let's make South Africa grow again. No, but <laughs> the, tr the truth of the matter is, so if you look at favorability, that's another indicator, right? Uh, there's only, at this point in time, just from a polling point of view, only one other politician is more favorable than I am. In other words, your haters and your losers, they cancel each other out and then you decide whether you're net positive or net negative. And the only other person is the president. So, so we are coming into the race not as novices. And that's where to your earlier question, you haven't come into the space. There's a lot of big school fees to pay to get recognition across the country. And I'm grateful that we've spent as a brand for people, there's a fairly universal, broadly speaking. People, given the names on the list, they would know Musi Maiman. So speaking of school fees, who's paying? That's the tough one. We, we've, got to raise, we've got to raise money, and I keep telling South Africans, your 100 rands buys us one vote, so put it, put it in the pot. Is that um, like Cyril Ramaphosa? 100 rand will buy you a vote. So I need to ask you about this because there are a lot of people in the comments who say that they like you, you sound like you're you know, someone who they could trust, and they've heard these messages from you before. You've been consistent about that, but they say race politics always comes into this stuff. Mm. And with your, you know, you've been here for a considerably longer time than, than some. You've been making your contribution both in the DA and outside, mm. now with your own business, your own uh, party. 
People want to know what your stance is on race politics. Famously, there was a thing where you said, no, well, your your wife may not be able to help it, but she's guilty of white privilege. I had uh, Muzuli, who at that stage was your spokesperson on the show here <laughs> once. And when we'd finished the show and I thought she'd done a pretty damn fine job of acquitting herself, it became on social media that I was this uh, white monster who was, I mean, it really left a bad taste in my mouth. Is Is race politics going to play a part in your campaigning? I mean, and I'm just taking it from that side, you know, people are are going to go, well, you've said this, you've said that because you've said a lot. You've been in the public eye for a long time. Like me, I I get, I get held responsible for stuff I said eight years ago. I think let's not be, it'd be hypocritical of me to say, I want to build one South Africa and make that the party and make that the issue and then lose track of the, of, of wanting to say, to use uh, Kantan, the Republican saying, which is, we all do well when we all do well, actually. So, so I am interested fundamentally in prosperity for all races. I genuinely, I believe that regardless of what goes on in this country. But the second part of that is, I think to identify race in an individual is not to be racist. We, we make that mistake. Someone who says, well, Income between black and white South Africans is six to one. And you state that as a fact. People go, ah, you see, now you are getting into racism. No. You are recognizing a history where we've come from. And you are saying all of us have a duty to fix. All of us, black and white. Because freedom can't just be for the oppressed. It ought to be for the oppressor. So also, so my point is race features as a function of going, can we, if we truly believe in a South Africa for all, can we work hard at addressing injustice where it occurs? And can we furthermore work collectively to build a shared prosperous society? And those values I've always held on to. And I recognize. So let me talk my, like to my kids about this issue because they have questions. I take them to Gogo and Soweto. They have to answer the question, why is Gogo living in Soweto in these conditions? And I take them to Granny in a different community. They have to answer those questions for themselves. I don't try and hide away from the fact that we have a history that meant that there was segregation. I don't hide that fact from them. But I invite them, like I would invite my wife, I'd invite anybody to say, let's work together to try and address that. That's why I'm. Imp- it's important that we set up a jobs and justice fund. That's a way of addressing injustice going forward. That Jobs and Justice Fund will ensure that where students who can't gain access to higher education can be funded, particularly particularly black students who come from poor communities. These things are important. And then to come back to the last issue of Ubuntu, which I think was some of the reference behind the conversation you had with Mutsuli, I think we can never... It's important to acknowledge the dignity of all human beings and always that is one right in the Constitution never can be taken away, ever. Mm. No, I know, and and I I still maintain, and, and so sometimes I, I maintain that in that until we amend the constitution, of course. No, sure, but it, but in that particular <laughs> conversation, you know, I I probably could have handled things better, but the the central discussion was around the local elections at that point, which was really what people were interested in. Sure, there'll be other times where we can hear about people's stories and their experience and their lived experience and all that stuff, and it's not to say that we're not interested. But I think that there's also, there's something else that you, you, you haven't got to yet. And I do want to hear your thoughts on this because it's an area where I'm sure it's an easy answer for you, but we need to deal with all of these crooks. And 
I, I heard from somebody this week who's now living out of the country, a very, very smart legal mind. He said to me, we need to establish a circuit court that has sufficient funding, get the best legal minds, and set up a corruption court, essentially. <laughs> Say to these people who've stolen money, you have three months amnesty. Come forward, tell us what you've stolen, and you won't have to go to jail. We're going to take most of that back because it's not yours. Mm. But you won't have to go to jail. If you don't come forward in these three months, we will come after you with everything we've got, and we've got a lot. Yeah. And then let's put people in overalls. I mean, do you agree with that? Undeniably. Good. Undeniably. Good. Otherwise, we're going to create a system <laughs> where people who – corruption has become so, so – it's happening everywhere. And part of the real issue is that we are now privatizing uh, – we think that, you know, public leadership and public office is a, is a side hustle. The main job is elsewhere. So even if you go to the home affairs, the person is, is incentivized to think that if the system is down, at least I can go to other people in the line and say, let me help you quickly and give you a VIP section. That's another form of corruption that's occurring. It happens in the private sector. I mean, I think we can't deny the fact that there are a lot of people who have corrupted equally the system. Me, I agree with the special court. We've called for it permanently. But where I would go even a step further is that the SIU legislation and all of that gives the president the power to call more than one special investigator unit. And I think if you asked for legal minds to volunteer their time so that we prosecute they quickly, would. I think you would have a mass rally of people coming on board. And ultimately, you could get yourself to a point where people must know you cannot tolerate corruption. All right. Uh, Canton has asked if he can have the last question. Is of that course. Okay? Yeah. In, in, term, in terms of. You've tweeting? been very quiet. No, no, no. no. Us, you're not going to give uh, us uh, some uh, boring story about how you and Musi <laughs> met at <laughs> <for> Hyatt. <laughs> no, Musi, the fundamental question going back to race, which we were talking about right now. And this is really my litmus test in terms of whether people uh, are taking us forward or not. Would you outlaw black economic empowerment? I would change it fundamentally. Well, but That's how would you? But how would you define race in that case? Because we don't have a population registration act that actually defines us on the basis of race. Would you go back to pencil tests as we did during the apartheid no. era? How, no, how, how, how would you? How would you? How would you define race? Well, what are we trying to address here? We're trying to address justice. So. I don't need to define race because the constitution is quite explicit about self-identification. But let me take a student, right? I want to lean into different things. So if a student says to me, my parents never went to university as a function of history. My parents never went to university. That's a fact. Neither did mine. Um, so now, And we're different races according to the constitution. So, so, so at the end of the day, I've got to make sure that if there were economic circumstances that forced that, that, that condition, I will fund that student to go to university and I'll pay for it. The way we recoup the funds is to make sure that we have a tax system at the end of it. But we've got to be, we got to, some of these things we've got to lean into because we're fixing a injustice here. Triple B But that's a question of, that's, that, that's poverty. That's not, um, that's not race, surely. No, but that's a historical legacy issue. Mm, which but, is born yeah, out we, of race. But we need clarity on these things because we're going to be deciding that certain people get things and other people don't, which is precisely where all these horrible ideas in the 1960s 
under HF Vavut came from. It's like, let's categorize and classify, and it no, becomes very pe- dangerous. People do that themselves. Where I think there's a secondary danger to the, maybe the point. But I mean, of- some people are classifying themselves, self-identifying as women when they're, when they're men. I mean, this is complicated, right? Uh, of course, all of these things are. But where I'm very nervous is when we then head into this direction that says, no, it suits us to be colorblind. No, no, no. But if we're going to have any policy at all, is BEE the right one? No, I've maintained that view. And that's what I'm saying. It needs to, I will change it. I will change it to put a jobs and justice fund and focus on the idea of justice in order to build one. Because let's be fair. If I go to Kailicha as an example, that's not a township for poor people. It was a township designed for black people Mm. and it's poor. Mm. So I can't sit here and say, well, I'm going to be blind to that fact and be colorblind. I've got to say, mm-hmm. how do I use funding so that I can address that historical injustice See what by you've building done, infrastructure? We were having a perfectly, we were having a perfectly nice conversation, Canton, and look what you've done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the nitty, gr- the, nitty, the, the nitty, gritty, the nitty gritty, the nitty gritty is what matters. <laughs> Go for it. So, oh, so, 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 so that's the war. The war is, but again, Gareth, this is not being pernicious to anybody. It's not about sitting back and going, well, by virtue of, it's about, Actually, if we want, we will never know peace in this country until we confront the question of justice. I think that's a... I just like people to study history. I, if, <laughs> if people just studied history, we wouldn't have half this trouble. They don't. They don't so, learn it. Uh, we're like over in our time. And yeah. I'm grateful that people are still listening. Yeah, I would have loved um, to be here longer. Yeah. Uh, I'm grateful that people are still listening. So I will ask you... In 60 seconds, you've got a 10-point plan. But if you could pick only one thing that you would do all the time that would lead us to the right path, as you say, Mm. what would that be? Mm. I'll put a job in every home. (laughs) But in 60 seconds, actually, to put a job in every home is about let's keep the lights on. We'll have to do that permanently. Let's fix all our logistics. Let's make sure goods can move in and out of this country freely. Let's make sure everyone is safe. Because actually, you can't work when you are unsafe. And lastly, let's make sure anyone who wants to start a business in this country can get the appropriate funding to get there. That's why I want a venture capital fund. Cool. Musi, thank you very much for coming in this morning. Um, it's good to see you, and it's good to actually have you uh, have some time. We don't have to go to commercial breaks every five seconds. To, <laughs> and sound you know, bites. Sound bites. <laughs> yeah, they come to you. So what do you think of the State of the Nation address? You've got two seconds to say what you think. So uh, we will do this again. And um, and I wish you luck. I mean, I think that you've already done some incredible things by taking this constituency system to the constitutional court. This is stuff that will, um, I think, uh, be, be written into history as being tremendously positive moves forward for this country. And there are many more that you will probably make. But in this morning's show and this morning's discussion, we've run out of time. Thank you, everybody. We will see you on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, have a good, happy week, happy Easter weekend. And to all yeah. Jewish South Africans who celebrate uh, Pesach tonight. And, uh, and, and Ramadan's coming to an end soon and all of it. So it's all it's everybody's, holy week. Everybody's doing something. <laughs> everybody's doing something. All right, this everybody. Week. Have a good weekend. Bye bye.